Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. If you'll remember, the ship has been destroyed. There's pieces. The swimmers go first to shore now because it's been a while. Now those that cannot swim seemingly has grabbed a hold of pieces of the ship and they all make it safe to the land. And when they were escaped, verse 1, then they knew that the island was called Melita. The barbarous people shewed us no little kindness. They kindled a fire and received us, every one, because of the present rain and because of the cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. He shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. Howbeit they looked... When he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly, that after they had looked a great while and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a God. He was a God. Tonight, I want to entitle this last lesson of this 57-part series, this one word, unstoppable. Unstoppable. Amen. Ask the Lord to help us here in the next little while as we just kind of put this thing to bed for now. Lord, I love you today. God, I'm thankful, Jesus. God, for an opportunity to be in your house. Thankful for those that are enabled to be back in the house of the Lord tonight. I pray, God, as we once again center our lives around your word, that you're able to help aid us and help guide us, Lord, through this chapter and through these verses of Scripture. God, that we can draw from them some principles, God, for our own lives, God, for the life of the church. I pray, oh God, that you're able to minister, Lord God, through these words. And God, we just submit wholeheartedly to you that you would do your work, God, and do it upon my life and our lives. In the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. And the church say amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight in Jesus' name. Look at your neighbor and say, unstoppable. Unstoppable. Amen. Interesting thing concerning diving right in here to verse 1, and I don't have time to waste, is that it's only, if you know, it's only when they arrived on the island that they knew what island it was. If you'll remember back in chapter 27, whenever they had not seen the sun or the stars for many days, remember they were living in a eternal darkness, it seemed, whether it be day or night. If you'll remember whenever they was in that continued darkness, that that, because not having the stars or the sun, which whereby they navigated, they didn't know where they were and they didn't know where they were going. And then somewhere around verse 39 of the last chapter, they finally came to a point in time that, it turned day and they could evidently see but they still did not know the land or they did not know the island where they were at they could see a little spot a little inlet of water where they were going to attempt to make it to land but they still didn't know didn't know what the island or the land was but whenever they arrived there when their feet actually touched the shore whenever they were out of the water away from the ship out of the storm and on the land 
the Bible tells us that they knew that the island was called Melita or modern day Malta this island which was about 18 miles long by 8 miles wide it was it was uh, a naturally a barren rock it had no high mountains upon it but its name was Melita which was a Phoenician word which meant refuge or escape refuge or escape sister Sheila they arrived where every person on the backside of a storm wants to arrive and that's arriving at a place of refuge arriving at a place of an escape and the Bible says that the barbarians which is just a fancy word to basically say the natives of the land that they were very kind to them whenever they arrived they're barbarians to the people that arrive and because they have not learned or taken on the universal Greek language that most others have or taken on the Greek culture that most others have but they have kept true to their own language and culture of their native land so those that arrive and see them as as barbarians if you will or a more proper term would be the natives of the land but they are very kind to these people that are coming out of a very long time of a storm of disappointment and dismay the Bible says that these people of the island of Melita, they built a fire for everyone to warm themselves by. Number one, think for a moment how many fires or how big of a fire it would take to take care of 276 people. I know you've been at a bonfire, but folks, you haven't been at a bonfire like this. I don't know if there were individual fires or they're just one big old fire. 276 people are trying to gather around and, and stay warm. And the Bible says they built this fire for the people that were coming to the island because of the cold and because of the rain, or if I might interject, because of the winter season that it was presently, as it was presently, the winter season that was in process right now. And so if you were to consider for travelers to show up at Melita and to think then at these natives of this island that, that they, their language is a little peculiar and, but it's the language of their land and that they've come to this island of refuge, they've come to this island of escape. It's amazing to me to ponder that these people of the island ministered to the others because the Bible says of the rain and because of the cold. They, they ministered to them because of this winter season. If I take that to a level of application spiritually tonight, it would be this. Thank God for places of refuge that maintain a different language and culture than what we've been exposed to. So that when it's needed, that we've been caught in the storm or caught in the winter seasons of our life, they're capable of ministering to you and I. I preach from the next several verses of Acts 28 uh, many times in my life, particularly whenever I evangelize. I preached a sermon, What the Fire Reveals, the Fire Consumes. But if I may, just a little different concept I wish to draw your attention to tonight concerning the Apostle Paul that is going around now that he is up on this island. He is a guest, if you will, to this island, but he's still contributing something to the fire. The fire's for everybody that's just like him that's came to the island, but he doesn't take a back seat to that to be served, but he's going to get in on the work as well, and he's contributing to not only his own welfare by bringing sticks and twigs, but also to the welfare of others who are in the exact same predicament as he is and he's gathering these sticks and the Bible says as he done so and put some sticks down into the fire that there is a viper that caught hold of his hand 
uh, that came out of the fire and done so. And evidently, while this has taken place, Paul has an audience whether he realizes it or not. Paul has an audience whether he realizes it or not because the Bible says these barbarians or these, these people that are natives to the island, when they seen that the viper latched on to Paul's hand, they thought that Paul was probably a murderer. It's probably a murderer that although he has escaped the sea, Honey, payday's coming right now. That venomous beast, as they call it here in Scripture, that venomous beast has gotten a hold of him. And though he escaped the sea, he's going to be taken care of right here. Amen. And here, as we understand this, though, it didn't take very long. Paul doesn't fall over dead. He's not swelling up. There's nothing adverse seemingly happening to his body. And so as they are observing this, and again, Paul, I don't know whether or not he has an audience. I would tend to think that he probably doesn't. But as they're witnessing this and nothing happens to Paul, they change their mind. They change their opinion. Say, this man must be a God. Now, folks, there's a vast difference between murderer and a God. There's a vast difference between a murderer and a God. But I think there's a few things that we can learn from this very quickly, and that is this. Look at how fickle human opinion can be. Look how fickle human opinion can be. And number two, look how wrong our conclusions can be when we draw them simply off of what we can observe. <laughs> Someone say amen. Because here's the thing. Here's the reality of the fact as I pinned it down today. Conclusions that are made purely off observation are often incomplete and many times lack the unseen or the unheard portions of the story to know the completion of the matter. That's the reason why you should think twice before you say something just based absolutely off what you've observed. Because there are unseen portions you know not of and unheard portions you know not of that might bring some sense to what you're observing. I can just dig another little trove of truth from this it would be this <laughs> Paul in all of this alright in what he did shaking that off in the fire doing his thing gathering sticks all this Paul was just being Paul are you listening to me Paul was just being Paul but I don't believe he knew he had an audience I don't believe he he knew he had this audience right here that we're aware of because we're reading the story. But Paul was just being Paul. And when I say it like this tonight, he was being watched as he lived his life, just lived his life. And if they watched him as he lived his life, who's watching you as you live your life? What are you saying? I'm saying Paul's not preaching right now. Paul's not visiting the synagogue right now. Paul's not laying in the street dead because he's just been stoned right now. He's just living his life. He's being the apostle Christian Paul. He, he, he's just being a man that's just came through a storm. Hallelujah. And he's being met by never, another situation from the fire. But there's people observing his life. How does a man act when he just came through a storm and finds himself in another situation of a venomous beast hanging from his hand? Mm -hmm. 
See, I could have split this in two sessions. Acts 28 and verse number 7. Let's go on. We got places to go and things to consider. The Bible says, and I won't read all the verses of Scripture tonight, but when I deem it necessary, I will. And in the same quarters were possessions of the chief man of the island, whose name was Publius, who received us and lodged us three days courteously. And it came to pass that the father of Publius, or Publius lay sick of a fever and of a bloody flux, to whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, others also which had disease in the island came and were healed, who also honored us with many honors. And when we departed, they laded us with such things as were necessary. Now, Publius here is the chief of the island, the high potentate of the island. The Bible says he lodged them three days. Now, here again, this is what I don't know, but I'm just thinking out loud tonight. I don't know if him lodging them meant that he lodged Paul and Luke and Aristarchus, or that meant he took care of 276 people. If by chance he was taking care of 276 people, then that says a lot about this guy's substance and his means. But nevertheless, I think the important matter for us to consider here tonight is that Publius had a father who was sick, had a fever and a bloody flux. And the Bible says that Paul laid his, everybody say hands, plural, upon him. And God healed this man of his fever and his, and his bloody flux. Now, here's what I want you to consider. That means the same hand that that viper, that venomous snake fastened to, was now involved in being laid upon somebody that had a bloody flux and a fever, and God used the very hand that was attacked a few moments earlier to administer healing just a few moments later. What I glean from that, if we got principles to build on tonight, what I glean from that is this. It may be that there are areas of your life that have been attacked in the past that God wants to use for his glory in the here and the now and the future. But you don't need to discount what God can or cannot do with what was attacked in the past right now in your present. Your present day. Because some of us would have said, God, I was just attacked by a viper not long ago on that hand. I can't use that hand to pray for someone to be healed. No, Paul didn't say that, God. If you want to take something that was attacked in my past and use it for your glory right now, then I surrender my hand for your use and your... I feel in the Holy Ghost tonight, somebody is battling in their spirit that I can't use that area of my life because that's an area that has fell prey to the enemy. But I've come to tell you tonight what the enemy has tacked in your past. God can use that same instrument for his glory here, now, and in the future. Yes. Because what may have been deficient then, God may prove to be sufficient now. Amen. Now look at verse 8 there. <clears throat> look at verse 8 and verse 9. In two instances here, in verse 8 and verse 9, the word healed is used. The word healed that's used in verse 8. It's not the same Greek word that is translated as healed in verse number 9. The first one that is used in verse number 8 lends itself to mean more so of an instantaneous healing, what we might term 
more commonly as a miracle. A miracle. But in verse 9, the word that is translated healed is one that lends itself to mean a more gradual cure or what we would think of whenever we think about a healing. All right? And so we have here, not only was Publius's father healed or instantaneous healed or a miracle, but there were several others that came and that were healed or there took some, some, some time or it was a gradual cure that took place in their life. Amen. Gradual that took place in their time. And so here's, I think that what that does for us, what that does for me as a Christian is this, that sometimes God will do an instantaneous work. And there are other times he'll use time to do the work. But one is not any less God than the other. And then there are times that many have maybe been exposed to or witnesses of. Then there are times it seems like the healing never takes place. And again, and I say this with all uh, uh, mercy and grace and with respect, oftentimes though what we fail to realize is that death many times then becomes the answer for the healing. I know, I know that's hard to wrap our souls and hearts around, but death many times becomes the answer for the healing in those instances. As a matter of fact... Whenever Paul lays his hands on Publius's father, this isn't the first or only time that Paul ever was used in the gift of healing. This isn't just the first time. This is a reoccurring use that has happened for the apostle Paul, him being used in a gift of healing. However, consider this with me tonight because these are things that we think about. Whenever apostle Paul laid hands on Publius or whoever else it may have been in his life and they received healing, he did that. He did that, Bishop having what he called a thorn in his flesh himself. A thorn that he wrote in Corinthians, Brother Terry, that he asked God three times to remove, but it was never granted to him. Many scholars believe it was something that Paul had with his eyesight. We could look at other things in scriptures that might help validate that. But regardless of what it was, this is the fact that Paul was able to be used as an instrument of healing for other people when he had something in his own body he couldn't get healed. And, and, and it's commonly sometimes what we think, whether it's ourselves or whether it's somebody else, how in the world can that person pray for them and they get healed and they got xyz in their life they got diabetes they got heart failure how in the world can they pray for someone and them get healed and then they still remain sick because it happens more than once i've seen it happen in my in my life people that have some disease or have some type of sickness pray for somebody else with a different disease or maybe even the same disease and that person they pray for get healed but the one that did the praying remains sick one of those hard things to understand in it in the kingdom of God but this is what I glean from the word whenever Jesus listen to me whenever Jesus was on the cross remember that Jesus is on the cross Matthew Matthew 27 42 Jesus is on the cross they're crying out to Jesus he saved others himself he cannot save note they had it somewhat wrong it's not that he could not save himself, but he did not save himself because the purpose of his life was fulfilled in not being saved. Is someone hearing me? 
What I'm saying tonight is this. Healing may work a purpose in one person's life. The purpose that he has for their life might be accomplished in them being healed of whatever it is. But the purpose in somebody else's life might be accomplished by them remaining sick. That's hard to understand. But listen to pastor because I tell you the truth. Some people will not be able to make it to heaven unless they have some affliction in their life. I'm not saying that's the case for every scenario of everybody that's been sick and never healed. I'm just saying that's just a little example. There are purposes sometimes while some can and some are not. And it don't have anything to do with you not having enough faith or if you had enough faith. No, it just has everything to do with what God wills and what God purposes for you. Concerning the Apostle Paul, three times I asked God to remove the thorn in my flesh and he granted it to me not. Why does the Bible say that in 2 Corinthians 2.17? It says, lest he should be, lest Paul should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. Paul, that thorn, that poor eyesight, you might pray for someone and they receive better eyesight and you still have poor eyesight. But there's purpose in you having poor eyesight. It's so that you won't get exalted concerning the revelations I've given to you. And so Paul understands then, I'm a better man with poor eyesight than I am a healed man. Amen. Hallelujah. So I know those are the hard things. And I say this just kind of like a, I don't know, a little period at the end of the sentence for this little section of the scripture. And that's this. The quicker, and I include myself in this, I say we, the quicker we become trusting of the inexplicable and the paradoxical ways of God the better off that we will be because here's the mindset of some some believe some believe that if God can't be explained in how he acts or what he does if he can't be explained then he can't be believed but I say and what follow these words closely I say if God could always be explained then he's probably not God. Or is he worthy of my belief? Because his ways are higher, Bible says, than my ways. His thoughts are higher. So if it always can be explained, then he's probably not God. Some of us want to beat our head against the wall sometimes trying to figure out all of the ways. Honey, his ways, the Bible says, are past finding out trying to find out all the ways of God. If you could if you could somehow have every little high and low explained to you, you understand what God's doing and say, well, I believe if you could just explain, listen, he's God. He doesn't take counsel from anybody. He did everything that we see, feel, and touch alone all by himself. That's enough explanation for me. Amen. And if you look at verse number 10, look at this. Look at verse number 10. And the wind's kind of carrying my scripture here a little bit, but you can leave the fan on. It feels kind of good. Just lay my hanky right there. Look at verse number 10. So Publius has been made whole. Other people in the island have been made whole. And the Bible says there in verse 10, these people honored the apostle Paul and the others with him whenever they departed 
and gave them such things as necessary. You know what I believe verse 10 is? I believe verse 10 is a testimony to obedience. Because everybody's on the ship. They make it to shore just as the word of God had, had said. All lives are saved or spared on this voyage. And here's what I glean from this. Obedience pays dividends. Watch it. Obedience paid dividends. Because the Bible says they laden them with things that were necessary. Do you remember things that they threw out in the middle of their storm? Tackling and lading things that were necessary. That now because obedience pays dividends, they gained necessary things back that was probably discarded during the moment of their storm. But obedience, obedience pays dividends. So much so that when you got to cast stuff out because you weren't thoughtful or listening and it got yourself in the storm, if you'll be obedient even during your storm, it will pay back to you what you lost during the moments of your storm Acts 28 verse 11 I want to read and after I read I want my map Amen. Acts 28 verse 11 and after three months we departed in a ship of Alexandria this is another ship of that same location in Egypt of Alexandria one had been annihilated but there's another one which had wintered in the isle whose sign was Castor and Pollux and landing at Syracuse, we tarried there three days. And from thence we fetched a compass and came to Regium. And after one day, the south wind blew, and we came the next day to Puteoli. I've been working on that word all day. You know that they've reached, you know they've reached Italy whenever you've got a city called Puto, uh, Puteoli. It took me back when I worked at, uh, uh, <laughs> well, worked at a wiring uh, harness company before I ever uh, traveled and we had a carrier that was in New York, Buffalo, and a lot of them were Italian. And some of them, like, I remember one of their names was Larry Viverito, Frank Vellino, and I don't know if they were from Patoli or not, but uh, <laughs> you know, amen. Nevertheless, where we found brethren and were desired to tarry with them seven days, and so we went toward Rome. And from thence, when the brethren heard of us, they came to meet us as far as the Appii Forum and the three taverns whom when Paul saw, he thanked God and took courage. Now, the three taverns is a location, and it's not has anything to do with liquor. Some people have read verse 15 that Paul came and he seen the three taverns, and don't say the whom and just say when Paul saw, he thanked God and took courage and think that Paul was glad that there was a place to get spiced up. <laughs> wrong, wrong, amen. And when he came, and when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was suffered to dwell by himself with a soldier that kept him. Now, if you can please put my, put my map up there because we're going to look at it here along the way. Note now, verse 11 says, you don't have to put verse 11 back up unless you want to superimpose it on top of my map, but nevertheless. It says, after three months, after three months, we departed. Simple words, after three months, They've been here at this Isle of Melita. But within those words, after three months, 
those words prove an important lesson that they have learned on this journey. Because more than likely, they have waited, they have not departed for another three months because, again, it's the winter season. Traveling upon the water is not something that you want to do that they found out from their last journey. And so it's winter season. So they have already learned something, and it's displayed, and after three months, we departed. And that was, it wasn't a good idea to travel whenever it's not, whenever it's not commended to travel. In other words, the lesson that they've learned, they've learned how to wait. They've learned how to wait. And I, I would stack waiting right up there with some of the biggest lessons in our Christian life, and that is learning how to wait. Learning how to wait. The Bible says they got on another ship of Alexandria. Again, they, they lost the first ship of Alexandria. And I've preached the sermon before, but God had another ship, a man of Alexandria, that was ready for them. The Bible says that the signs, uh, the calling card, if you will, that was upon, was upon this ship was Castor and Pollux. Uh, these were two hero, heroes, rather, of Greek mythology. They were the twins of the, uh, twin sons of Jupiter. They were often denoted on ships as two stars that were hovering over a ship, something that was embossed upon the ship in the wood. They were revered and considered as protectors of men that were at sea. And most, most ships that took to the water had this engraving, this emboss, uh, embossing upon their ships. Amen. But if we think about it, it didn't help too much last time, now did it? which just underscores the fact again that Luke in writing, the Holy Ghost in writing, is just underscoring the fact that only God can protect men at sea. And more particularly, only God can protect us when we find ourselves in, in the storm at sea. If you look at the map today, if you look at the map, there's, there's little Malta or little Melita again. See how small that is, man, 18, 18 miles long, 8 miles wide. They wanted to go here and they ended up right there. And yet, and yet, they are still yet not too far from where they need to be. So they travel. They travel to Syracuse. They travel to here. They travel to there. And whenever they reach land here, the rest of their trip, of Paul's trip to Rome, is going to be by land rather than by sea. Now look now, and I'll point this out, and you look at your Bibles with me. But whenever they went from Melita or Malta to Syracuse, that's about 80 miles. The Bible says when they got to Syracuse that they tarried there for three days. Then they went from there to Regium. And whenever they went from there, they went up there to our nice little uh, Italian city. And note, there's something important, though, between those two, if I can find it in what verse it is, in verse number 13, that whenever they left uh, Regium, after one day, the south wind blew. I wonder how nervous they got. Because the last time the south wind blew, when they were on a trip, just from Fair Havens to Phoenice. That's when this whole tumultuous thing really got started. I wonder how nervous they got. I wonder if they remembered the last time that the south wind blew. The Bible says when they got to Puteoli that they tarried there seven days with the brethren and then went from there. They were going to head to Rome, which would be a 125-mile trip. Now, I want to hang your hat on something here. Whenever they made it to land there on Italy. They already, Paul already found some of the brethren. He's never been to Rome before. He's only written to Rome. He already found some brethren, some of the believers 
that were believing about this uh, gospel message in Jesus Christ and the resurrection. But there's something I want you to note, though. Something I want you to note. Verse number 15. I'm going to read just the last phrase of verse 14 and the first part of verse 15. And so we went toward Rome, Paul says. They reached uh, Puteoli, and now they're going to head toward Rome. And the Bible says, and from thence. From where? From Rome. When the brethren heard of us, they came to meet us as far as the Appii Forum and the three taverns. These are two different places. From the Appii, from Rome to the Appii Forum was 43 miles. From Rome to the three taverns was 33 miles. So again, Paul has only written to Rome. He's never been there yet, but now he is there. He's encouraged, he's strengthened to now see some of the faces that he has written to. And now he's feeling like, you know, my mission is coming to culmination here. Everything that I've been through, this long journey is now coming to fulfillment. And now as he's making this journey to Rome, there are some people from Rome that meet him at the Appii Forum and some at three taverns. Look, now this, this is very simple, but I want you to notice it. Some traveled from Rome to the Appii Forum, if I get it right, 43 miles to meet Paul. Some then traveled from Rome to the three taverns, which was a shorter distance, 33 miles to reach Paul. Why was it that some were willing to go 43 miles and some to go 33 miles? Here it is. Because there's always some Christians that's willing to go an extra distance. I know that's basic. But there's truth in that matter. Why didn't those that went to three times, why weren't they willing to go to the Appii Forum? It's just 10 miles difference. Because some people will go one mile with you, but they won't go two. Some will be willing to go further than others. And so Paul, he calls a gathering. I will not be reading the next several verses, starting with verse number 17. But Paul because some of it's kind of rehashed with, with the way that the Acts has went. Paul gathers the chief rulers of the Jews together in Rome. He begins to recap to them all the events that have led up to him now being his feet planted right here at Rome. He tells them the exact same thing. These Jews at Rome, he tells them the exact same thing that he has told any other grouping of Jews at any other city that he has ever visited, and that is this. He said, I am bound, I am here. My reason and my purpose is for the hope of Israel. My reason and my purpose is Jesus Christ. My reason and my purpose is the resurrection. So he's telling the, these things to them again. Uh, these, really, for the first time, these Jews at Rome. But he's doing the same thing that he did anywhere else. He talks to the Jews first before he ever talks to a Gentile. He relays the message to the Jews before he ever does to the Gentile. He opens up the door to them before he does anybody else. He tells them his purpose is Jesus Christ. Tells them his purpose is his belief in the Messiah and the resurrection that he rose up. And then there's verse 21 of Acts 21 of Acts 28 and they said unto him we neither received letters out of Judea concerning thee neither any of the brethren that came shoot or spake any harm of thee they said we never received any letters there were no letters provided now remember Festus was supposed to write something to Caesar remember remember whenever he had Agrippa come and listen to Paul it was for the purpose so I might have something to write but whenever Agrippa gets done he says had this man not appealed to Caesar he'd be set at liberty so evidently, Festus, poor boy, never did have anything to write. Nothing never did show up at Rome. Amen. Because there was nothing to write about. There were no true convictions against the apostle Paul. So there was nothing to write about. But nevertheless, the Jews desired to hear of Paul 
everything concerning Christianity, they call it this sect, S-E-C-T. said, because anything that we've ever heard coming through Rome concerning this sect has been negative. It's been spoken against. So we would like to know about this thing called Christianity. And so, honey, that's just acting like gasoline. That's just acting. That's just asking gas, gasoline to be combustible. All right. Apostle Paul said, you want to know about this Christianity? I'll tell you a thing about it. And the Bible says he starts to talk about Jesus. Here he goes. He starts talking about the kingdom of God. He starts explaining all this to them from their own writings of the law and of the prophets, explaining these things to him. And then the typical thing happens that's happened all throughout Acts. He finishes his message, and some believe. Some believe not. That is one of the most comforting things I receive from the is when you get them preaching, some are going to believe and some are not going to believe. Not that I'm comforted for the non-believers, but sometimes it's a heavy load. But whenever Paul extends his message to the Jews, there's a major disconnect with him and the Jews. The way it's termed in verse 25 is that they departed after Paul had spoken one word. But his message to the Jews, he incorporates, quoting Isaiah chapter number 6, and in doing so, he declares unto them, some are believing, some are not believing. He declares to them that the message of salvation that had just been extended to them was going to be extended to the Gentiles. I think that's the one word, Gentiles. I think that's the one word, really, that got it. They're going to be extended to the Gentiles. And the Bible says that the Jews left and that they departed. Paul contrasted, Paul contrasted so greatly the acceptance of the Gentiles compared to the rejection of the Jews. If you look in your Bible in, in Acts 28, you look at verse 27, and the Bible, even through the prophet Isaiah, speaks of the Jews as having ears dull of hearing. But Paul then says in verse 28 that the Gentiles, they will hear it. Such a strong contrast. Now look, look what Paul quoted from Isaiah in verse number 25 of Acts 28. The Bible says, and when they agreed not among themselves, they departed after that Paul had spoken one word. Well, spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah, or that is Isaiah, the prophet unto our fathers, saying, Go unto this people and say, Hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand, seeing ye shall see and not perceive. For the heart of this people is waxed, waxed gross, and their eyes are dull of hearing their eyes have they closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. Now notice, Paul has spoken the word of Isaiah to them. Paul has spoken word to them, period. And yet they are rejecting, if you will, refusers of that word. We've seen this more than one time in the book of Acts. I'd like to lean on what Mr. Marshall said. Mr. Marshall said this. He said, once a person deliberately refuses the word, there comes a point when he is deprived of the capacity to receive it. Note these two phrases in verse 27. It says that they had ears dull of hearing. Ears dull of hearing. What that means is this. It's not that they're deaf. Having ears of dull of hearing mean this. Ears, this is what it is in, in, in the Greek. Ears that do not bear whatever's being told them heavily. In other words, they weren't taking what they were hearing seriously as they should. 
be taken. And note the phrase there in your Bible in verse 27. The Bible says, their eyes, the Jews, their eyes have they closed. Are you looking at this? They're not blind. They've just closed their eyes to what Paul's trying to show. So we're not talking about somebody that can't hear and can't see. We're talking about someone that has the ability to hear but refuses to. Someone that has the ability to see but refuses to. Paul, again, he's quoting Isaiah chapter 6. These verses are quoted from there. They're quoted in other places in the New Testament. Even Jesus Christ used them in the scripture in John 12. Let me read it because I want to show you something. In John 12, this is Jesus quoting the same prophecy of Isaiah, verse 39. Therefore, they could not believe because that Isaiah said again, he hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart that they should not see with their eyes nor understand with their heart and be converted and I should heal them. Here's the situation. If you read all the episodes of this, whether it be in Isaiah, whether it be in the Gospels, whether it be in John where Jesus said it or where it's in Acts where Paul spoke it, here is the situation. All along, the prophet of Isaiah is saying this, the Jews have the ability to see and to hear but they don't wish to see and to hear. They reject the word. They reject the message. Huh? They reject that. Now, here's the thing, folks. Whenever God's word is implemented, called out to, spoken, shown to you, a person cannot come in contact with the word and remain in a neutral position. Hear me today. They cannot be confronted with truth and then be in a neutral position. The Bible says then that the Jews did not take what they were hearing seriously enough. They were dull of hearing. They closed their eyes. And as a result, Jesus termed it as this in John 12. He described it then that now he was blinding them and hardening their heart. What are you saying? You have eyes to see, but you don't want to see? Then I'll make it where you can't see. You have ears to hear, and you don't want to hear? Then I'll make you incapable of hearing it. say glory he says if you don't if you don't want it I'll make you incapable of accepting it baloney brother oh baloney baloney you all the way back in Acts 13 and verse 46 if you'll remember when Paul went to the Jews in that particular city and town he said unto them he said seeing you put the word of God from you he said you've judged yourselves un, un, unworthy of everlasting life Now, this is just a little review, but according to Peter, because of that, how in the world is that possible? Because God and his word are one. God and his word are one. You can't reject his word and then cater to God. If you reject his word, you've rejected God. You can't, you can't, Reject God and then cater to his word. If you reject God, you've rejected his word. John 1 and 1 give us the premise that in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. You reject God or his word and you've automatically reject the other. Now look what it says. How can this be so? Well, according, according to the great, great apostle Peter, the Bible tells us 
that the same stone, and speaking of Jesus as being that stone, the same stone that was precious to some people became a stumbling block and an offense, a rock of offense to other people. Same stone, same Christ. Precious to some, a stumbling block to others. Why? Those that stumbled at it were the same ones. We'll look at the scripture right now. Those that stumbled at him were the same ones that stumbled at the word by disobeying it. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2 and verse number 7, Unto you therefore which believe he is precious. Speaking of Jesus Christ. Unto you which believe he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient. The stone which the builders disallowed. That's speaking of Christ. The same is made the head of the corner. That stone and a stone of stumbling. Jesus Christ has become a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. What was precious to the believers, what was precious to the obedient, has become a stone of stumbling and a stone of offense to those that are disobedient. Look, even them which stumble at the word. It is then no surprise they stumble at the precious stone of Christ if they stumble at the word. Amen. He said, look, how are, how are they stumbling at the word? Being disobedient. You control only in the truest sense of the meaning. Whenever you're not doing it under the mode of ignorance, you can only truly disobey if you have knowledge. So when we talk about disobedience in this sense, we're talking about a willful rejecting of what is known. Stumble at the word, you stumble at God. That's how he could say, if you reject it and close your eyes to it, close your ears to it, said, I'll make it where you can't hear it and you can't see it. That's the reason why he said, if you put away the word of God from you, then you have judged yourself unworthy for everlasting life. Why? Because if you don't want my word, you don't want me. My lesson is unstoppable. You'll understand that here in a little bit. But if you look at it just a little bit already, he's been through a storm, he's been through a snake bite. He's back on the boat. Okay. Acts 28, verse 30 and 31. These are the last two verses. The last two verses. The last. Do you hear what I'm saying? I knew someone's going to take a lap around the church when I said that tonight. Acts 28, verses 30 and 31. The last two verses of this series, of this book. What? Mike was just about ready to go. He said he was doing it in his head. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. Now, if you go back to Acts verse 16 of the same chapter, Whenever the centurion arrived to Rome, he gave all the prisoners to the chief captain. But, Bible makes a little denotation here that Paul was allowed or suffered to dwell by himself with a soldier that kept him or watched over him. So during his two years of house arrest in Rome, the Bible tells us that Paul is not being idle. Paul is preaching. Paul is teaching. He doesn't necessarily get leniency to go out, but he can receive whoever will come unto him. Here is teaching. Here is preaching. As a matter of fact, according to scholarly history, they say that the guard that, was, that kept Paul, that that guard changed every six hours. Every six hours, there was a new guard that was there to watch over Paul. 
But understand, the six hours while that guard was there, if anybody showed up, he was hearing, that guard was hearing a message, whether it be preached or whether it be taught or whether it was Paul's prayer time. <laughs> one historian says, and I don't know the, 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 the credence to this, but one says the reason why they changed the guard every six hours is because Paul was converting every guard. With the preaching and the teaching. And evidently, there is some, there is some truth to that because the Bible says in Philippians, and Philippians is one of the prison epistles that Paul wrote during his two years there in the Roman prison. This is what Paul wrote then to the Philippians. But I would ye, Philippians 1 and verse 12, but I would ye, ye should understand, brethren, that the things which have happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace. What's that talking about? Caesar's house. <laughs> that my bonds are manifest in all the palace in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. But look at it. Turn over to Philippians then chapter 4 and verse 22. Paul's doing a salutation here. Amen to the church at Philippi. He says, all the saints salute you. Chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. Honey, the gospel, salvation had went inside the palace of Caesar. You know what I you know what I tend to believe? That Paul did have some converts from some of those soldiers. Amen. Because some of Caesar's house now were believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and the resurrection and the truth of the Messiah. There's some he said, chiefly those of Caesar's house are saluting. Someone say unstoppable. Woo! It's during this time of Paul, these two years in, in, in prison under house arrest in Rome. It's in these times, most likely, from what they can do, from what they, they read of the manuscripts and what they can gather, that Ephesians, a, a prisoner epistle was written, Colossians, the prison epistle, Philippians, and the one that was written to Philemon. All these four written in those. Paul's not dude, being idle. He said, if I can't get it out, I'll get it out through some other way. I'll write the churches. He is unstoppable. But as we read Acts and we come to these last two verses, it's like reading a book that doesn't kind of tie up the loose ends of a story. I mean, you're just reading alone. Preaching the kingdom of God, teaching those things which concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. I mean, that's how you end Acts. I mean, is that, how you, is that how you end Acts? But the fact of the matter is, the book of Acts isn't ended yet. It never has ended. The Acts of the Apostles have never, never ended. If you remember, whenever Luke started writing all this, he said, the former treaty that I wrote to you, O Theophilus, is to show you what Jesus began to teach and to do. Acts was to show what the apostles continued to do that Jesus had begun in the book of Luke and what we are doing here tonight and on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights and any other service that we have is just a continuation of the book of Acts. There is no finality. There is no amen. There is no tying together all the loose ends, if you will, because there's still loose ends. This thing is not over yet. There's still people coming to salvation. There's still people being baptized. There's still people receiving the revelation of 
the truth of the Almighty God in Christ. This thing is not... He started in the beginning of Acts 1. He said that ye might be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and in Judea and to Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Honey, he has fulfilled that already in Acts. He's already taken it to Rome. He had his eyes on Spain. And now we're still trying to get it to the uttermost. Other lands that are discovered now that we're not then. We're still trying to get it there. Honey, this is unstoppable. It could stay in Jerusalem. It could stay and hold it in Samaria. It had to get to Rome. It had to get to Ephesians, and to get to Asia, and to get to America, has to get to Papua New Guinea, has to get to the Philippines, has to get to Japan, China. It, it's unstoppable until the whole world knows. I'm running on a close. I'm running on it. I am. So some believe, and this is just belief. I have nothing, nothing to substantiate this in totality concerning Scripture. Some believe that at the end of Paul's two years that he was released or acquitted. Some believe that he even maybe went on to Spain. We don't have nothing in the Bible that tells us this as he intended. Some believe that during the time that maybe he wrote 1 Timothy and Titus and was later arrested again and then wrote 2 Timothy and while he was arrested this next time, that tradition, this is tradition, Somewhere around AD 67 or 68, Paul was beheaded in Rome. I can't validate all those things, okay? I can't validate whether he was arrested again or if he was a let go. My book for Acts ends right here. I can read all the other epistles and I don't have necessarily anything that substantiates all that in particular. So I can't be sure. I only tell you what scholars say and only tell you what they what they what they believe. I can't be sure about those things. But there is one thing. I'm certain about the book of Acts ends in our English translations with four words that Paul taught and he preached Jesus Christ and these are the four words no man forbidding him four words in our English Bibles but in our Greek text those four words are boiled down to one word and it means this unhindered or without hindrance or if I may as my subject tonight unstoppable whenever I understand that I can't think then of a better way to end the book of Acts to say that Paul was there teaching and he was preaching the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence unstoppable unstoppable Stoppable. That's been the story of his life. That's been the story of him spreading Christianity across the globe of the then known world. Unstoppable. And that's the torch that he left for the apostolic church of today. That's the torch he left. If there's something that he's passing on in that exchange box, in this relay race of life, he's handing us a baton that bespeaks be unstoppable. You understand with me here this evening. Acts is unstoppable. Its message is unstoppable. Its experience 
is unstoppable. Perhaps more relevant maybe in other countries, third world countries that have great pressure concerning Christianity. It's in those little coves that the testimonies come yelling back to America concerning the message, the experience, how unstoppable it is in the face of pressuring governments, huh? in the face of, of loss of life if you were to be found out. But the message trudges on. The experience is still taking place in hideouts. Bibles are still being read where no eye should ever fall upon the pages because this thing that we have, we experience, that we call and label ourselves by is unstoppable. Can we just bow our heads in this place here this evening? Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.